Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Hump day? <laughs> we are here in the hump day of the week. Another uh, rather delightful weather day out there for us. A little crisp this morning but it'll be nice this afternoon. Yeah. We got State Auditor Shad White on the program at 1020 in the very next segment. And then at 11.05 later on today, it's Manley Barton, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, represents District 109, and he is the Speaker Pro Tim nominee. He'll give us uh, his outlook on the upcoming 2024 session and tell us what he thinks about his new role if he's elected by the full body next month. That should be interesting conversations today. Norman Lear, at the age of 101, has passed away. He is, of course, kind of a, a person who did a lot in television behind the camera, shall oh, yeah. we say. Big-time producer. Yeah. The uh, producer screenwriter, created a bunch of TV shows. Pretty much if you make a top ten list of 70s TV shows, it's going to be over half Norman Lear. Unbelievable. His name, you're right, always present in the credits for those programs. Perhaps one of the most famous, most watched, unbelievably wildly successful. I think he's only really been passed by Dick Wolf. Yeah. The producer that came up with Law and & Order and Which, all those offshoots. A whole bunch of those uh, shows. You're right. But in the 70s, All in the Family and The Jeffersons, which is kind of an offshoot of All in the Family, but good grief. Could you produce an All in the Family program today? Could Would that, would that make it? No. I don't think so. You couldn't. Even considering the fact that it was showcasing the ignorance of racism that's true and had very progressive characters that while being the butt of the joke were still getting to express their opinions on national tv yeah it It seems like that nuance would be lost on today's left i think that's totally right there would be outcries cancel immediately 
racism, feminism, social inequalities that, honestly, folks wouldn't touch. But think about how much more Archie would have to talk about today. (laughs) What would Archie say about all this gender ideology, transgender stuff? He'd be beside himself for sure. But I'm thinking Rob Reiner, who, who played the character uh, meat, Meathead, Michael. Meathead. Yeah, Meathead. <laughs> oh, that would be some interesting conversation. I'm, uh, I'm sort of speculating Edith would be just confused about the whole deal, because we're confused. She was confused about everything as it was. Such a kind soul. Uh, great program. You can't, you can't deny that. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. kissing him. <laughs> Remember that? Oh gosh, fantastic programs. But uh, we thank Mr. Lear for his creative talents because it's undeniable that it was entertaining, and that's what it's supposed to be. They're not supposed to be sort of these underlying social justice messages, in my view. Although he did have his fair share of social justice messages. or he did. I, I feel like social justice message doesn't do what he did justice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Social justice messaging nowadays has taken on a life of its own where it's whatever is the latest trendy activist ideology is going to get pushed by Hollywood and on TV. Yeah. Do you remember, in the early 80s, a made-for-TV movie called The Wave? Don't think I do. Tell me about it. It was produced by Norman Lear. I think it came out in 80 or 81. I don't remember what class we watched it in, but we watched it in class. It was a history class. But it's like a 45, 50-minute short film set in a high school in California where the students are kind of refusing to... To understand why Germany would go Nazi. Why would people buy into this? How how could that possibly happen? So they start an experiment at the school. Okay. Where there's this national youth movement. And it takes on a life of its own. And everybody wants to be a part of it. And if you're not a part of it, you're ostracized and attacked and othered. And then they all have this big assembly at the end. And spoiler alert for something that's older than I am. The, the national leader of the wave, the new national youth movement, is going to be on TV to tell everybody what's next. <laughs> and the lights go out, and it's Hitler. Hmm. And the teacher was pointing out, it's pretty easy if you get the right buttons pushed, the right heartstrings tugged, and the right group of people to promote something. Where does it end? What links are you go- willing to go to? I think we're seeing that manifest today. Without uh, without a doubt, Sanford and Son, Maud, Good Times, also creations of Lear's, and Rob Reiner, who is a <laughs> a big leftist in real life, and constantly tweets. I mean, Norman Lear was a big leftist. He sure was, and constantly tweets anti-Trump uh, statements, constantly pro Biden, anti-Trump. As recent as yesterday, by the way. I got one to share later. He said, I love Norman Lear with all my heart. He was my second father, sending my love to Lynn and the whole Lear family. Rob Reiner shared 
in a statement. He, of course, the son of Carl Ryder, also of television fame, etc. From well, the 601 on the ceasefire text line. Yeah, yeah. 1981, ABC TV movie The Wave. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. After school specials. Yeah, I do remember the series and the ABC TV had the movie of the week series and stuff. I didn't know that. Interesting. If it's from the early 80s and pretty much nobody's heard of it, it's probably on YouTube that's in full. right. Yeah, that's right. I may have to see if I can find that last for, scene. For no charge, right? No fee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time Magazine's Person of the Year, Taylor Swift. Wow. It's a whole bunch of Taylor Swift stuff in society these days. My daughter is ecstatic about this, by the way. She's a big Swifty. I just do not understand the appeal of listening to the same 12 songs redone 14 different ways. She does. Uh, My daughter and wife attended her concert in Nashville back in the summer, and uh, like three and a half hours solid. She's uh, quite the energetic entertainer. That's I mean, there aren't many people with for. a fan base big enough to where they could just film their concert and put that out in the movies. That's true. And it'd lead the box office for a couple weeks. Yep. 16 costume changes and lots of pyrotechnics, an optical illusion in which she appears to dive on the stage and swim. That's all part of her shtick. Part of the show. Uh, 40-plus songs from nine albums. But she is the Time Magazine, for those who care about that, the person of the year. There she goes. Yesterday, by the way, a number of, a couple at least, of uh, Ivy League presidents on the Hill, plus the MIT President on the Hill testifying about anti Semitism on their campus. Campuses. The Harvard, MIT, and University of Pennsylvania presidents were on hand. And honestly, GOP lawmakers pressed them hard, didn't get much in the way of cogent, direct responses, and, and berated them as they should be, and pointed out the very much hypocritical double standard that from the river to the sea and all sorts of other chants and protests calling for the total elimination, eradication of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel Apparently those those don't violate their code of conduct and their and their speech on campus. They kept trying to say context. Yeah, it's context. Anytime you what hear that, what context could you give to calling for genocide? Yeah, say striking the balance is quote challenging, and the results can be terribly uncomfortable. That a statement from the president of MIT in the wake of their campus being roiled by protests, including a student blockade last month of of a prominent campus building. Auditor Shad White is next. We're in the Element Well studio. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. 
Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, love. Every day. day. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're in the Element Well Studio. Barton Columbus on the ceasefire text line. Wait, Time Magazine is still in business? I thought magazines were from the 1900s. Uh, they sort of resurrected themselves, I believe. I actually subscribe to it, believe it or not, Bart. And uh, there are sometimes are reasonable articles. For the most part, it's uh, it leans left, shall we say, and they're big time into climate change. Well, I mean, you still have the big much. magazines. You just don't have the That's right. newsstands full of every little niche possible magazines. Well, the, there are some. They just don't sell. Well, yeah. What I've seen at Barnes and Noble, like who buys that? Don't you think that's what the T Swift selection is about? Oh like, yeah. Please buy this magazine. Oh, yeah, we'll put her is. picture on the front. She uh, sold all these albums, and she, I'm not a T Swift fan, by the way. It's Shad White in the, on the program. So yeah, I, yeah, I agree um, to some extent, uh, and it is their job to, to. It's actually to sell advertising, right? That's right. And you sell advertising yeah. by getting readership of your your publication. Yep. So I mean that's the that's the world and I think there's some of that. I was just glad that she's a, a reasonably normal person at least. She is a, an entertainer. She's a great business person. Her uh, her affair with the Kansas City Chief tied in uh, seems to have a lot of people intrigued. But at least it wasn't just some far out wacko like oh gosh that person's undeserving. Yeah. I mean it's glamour choosing transgenders for example as yeah. woman of the year. It, it could it could have been worse. It, that's that's a good way of saying it. it could have been worse. But you know like she Taylor Swift went after Marsha Blackburn uh, the Tennessee senator for yeah. some of her positions on issues and she totally did. mischaracterized them. I'm like why do we care what taylor swift thinks about political issues like maybe just be quiet and pick up the guitar like that that's probably what you should be doing but anyway i digress i, I hear you I, well, I, my I came in hot on t swift i'm sorry i'm <laughs> she, sorry she Swifties. said my daughter said don't hate on taylor swift <laughs> <laughs> she's texting you right now it's the t swift accountability board watching everything that's right well uh thanks for coming on uh, give us a brief update on what's happening down at the auditor's office you know i, I always tell you this i want you guys to be the Maytag repairman. I want it to be uneventful. The phone's not ringing. <laughs> exactly. That's my dream as well. Uh, we, we're not there yet, but uh, yeah. but maybe one day. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about our legislative agenda yeah. for the year. Please. So that's that's been the big thing that I've been pushing these last three or four days, going all around the state. We've been to Meridian, Starkville, Columbus, Biloxi, going to Hernando tomorrow. Uh, really, the the big centerpiece of what I'm going to push in the legislative session this year is a whistleblower reward act. And so. Uh, this idea has been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a law in the federal law that's very similar to this. And, and if you're a taxpayer and you come forward and, and you've identified that somebody in the federal government is is involved in corruption and the federal government recovers money from that case, you might be eligible to get a percentage of that recovery. And that, of course, encourages people to come forward with information about corruption. We don't have anything like that in state law, and I think it's time to change that. So I'm going to push for a state statute this year that creates a whistleblower reward. If you're a private citizen out there, you come forward and you tell my office about something you've seen involving government funds, so somebody stealing property or somebody stealing money, we investigate it, we dig in, and we realize you're right, and we get a recovery off of that. Under the statute I proposed, you would be eligible to get up to 15% 
of the, the recovery. recovery. Okay. And so we want we want to encourage people to come forward. I think if this passes, it could be a game changer in our fight against corruption. I think it'll encourage a lot of information to flow, give people an incentive to come forward with this kind of info. Uh, and, and I'm excited about it because I think it could be a really important step toward uh, making Mississippi government a bit cleaner. Yeah. I believe the IRS has had such a program for years. SEC has yeah. the False Claims Act and yeah. the federal law has. So there are a bunch of different whistleblower reward programs okay. in federal law. In federal. Okay. But we just, I think we need it for state and local government now. Yeah, I think that's sure. the next step. Uh, it's taxpayer dollars as well. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. To- totally agree. Okay. We were just talking uh, before we went to break about these uh, university presidents from yep. MIT and Harvard and uh, University of Pennsylvania. Yep. On the Hill yesterday... Um, discussing the the raft of anti-Semitism on uh, their their campuses, protests, blocking buildings, students, Jewish students have testified as well, uh, indicating that they feel unsafe, they it's feel sad. harassed, they it's feel uh, they feel the harsh treatment, not just from other students, but even members of the administration and faculty, which is is unthinkable in in my view. Uh, but they seem to avoid any direct answers to the questions. Uh, this uh, this concept of context, as we were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, what context do you need, uh, I guess, to frame these protests where they are literally calling for genocide? That's right. How do you contextualize that? It's, it's disgusting what they're saying. I saw those same clips last night, and, and um, I'm an alum of Harvard, obviously, and I hate to say it, but none of that surprised me. I mean, it, the, this, the, the clip was disgusting, but at the same time, none of it surprised me. You know, if you had asked those presidents, well, is there any context under which calling for the genocide of black folks in America that would was be allowed? Asked. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the answer is obviously no. You right. should never call for that. And anybody who calls for that is ethically uh, abhorrent, and also they're in violation of our student code. But then for some reason, if you call for the genocide of Jewish people, all of a sudden, well, it depends free on how... Free speech. Got to yeah, protect free, free speech. speech. depends on when you said that and how you said it and all this kind of stuff. No. It's the easiest answer in the world. Genocide, calling for genocide is bad and should violate your student code. But let me just say this. There are some folks who are going to look at that clip and they're going to say, well... That's the Ivy Leagues. And it's no surprise that these elite institutions are crazy. I'm here to tell you that it is not limited to the Ivy Leagues. So you can look around the country, Arizona, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Michigan, bunch of different states. You have student groups who are saying the same exact things at public universities in those states that they're saying at Harvard and at Penn and at MIT. And, and the really frustrating thing for me is that at those public institutions, the taxpayers are financing the indoctrination. We are paying the professors to teach these kids to be crazy. They don't grow up this way. We're paying professors to teach these kids to be this way. And unless every state gets its head together and says, all right, look, maybe we ought to be spending money on the programs that actually educate kids and prepare them for a career as opposed to degree programs that are just there to indoctrinate the kids. Unless we do that, nothing is going to change. It it is a it's an epidemic yep. on college campuses. Yep, and and we have shared uh, countless uh, stories of of uh, the, these activities and the uh, just the stronghold of this DEI ideology yep. on college campuses. It's nuts. It's in, it's crazy. We shared one a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Auditor, the University of De- Nebraska. 
And uh, they've got, uh, remember this, Rhino, some sort of safe dressing room where you can, and this is taxpayer funded, of course, where students who are uncomfortable dressing in public the, the, in a way that they believe corresponds with what they think their gender is, especially yep. agendered people, and they actually have this uh, on the campus, and this is part of their DEI department just and the funding ridiculous. there. Ridiculous. So I just saw that there's an Ohio, this is just yesterday, an Ohio, Ohio bill. Yep. Ohio State is requiring students, which one of the schools you've got to to affirm your white your privilege, yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's part of the curriculum. It's absurd. And they're paying for it. And you're paying for it. The taxpayers are paying, paying for, for it. it. Right. And this really, it goes back to one of the four bills I'm pushing this year in the legislature. I've talked about the fact that we're spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars on DEI, meaning me and you, the taxpayers here in Mississippi at our universities are paying millions of dollars on DEI. uh, And we're spending money to finance degree programs that aren't creating students who are are useful for our economy. A lot of times they're just indoctrinated to believe this crazy gender ideology or whatever it is. A lot of times they can't find a job here, so they go off somewhere else so we don't get any return on our investment. So what I've called for the legislature to do is say, look, let's create a commission. Let's put some experienced economists, workforce experts, people who understand Mississippi's economy, and let's let's get them together. Let's have them make a recommendation about how we should be funding our degree programs at, at public universities, how we should be spending taxpayer dollars, so that the dollars are going to degree programs that actually prepare people for jobs that are here. Now, if the universities want to raise their private dollars and they want to spend those private dollars on gender and zombies, which is an actual course you can take at a Mississippi public university <laughs> in the fall. Ryan is excited about that. Rhino is. But like, I don't think we should be paying for it. If you want to raise private dollars to, to finance courses like that, go right ahead. But for our taxpayer money, I think we ought to be spending that on degree programs that actually prepare people for a job that exists here in the state of Mississippi. We seem to have drifted away from the concept that the goal of the, an education at that level is to produce graduates who are ready to go to work and contribute to society. We've forgotten it. We've forgotten completely. it completely. Yeah. And, and the problem is we let universities on their own decide which degree programs are good or not, and then we just fund them. We just give them money. Well, and that's not the smart and way And as do it. you know, uh, the, the, the faculty has to sign off. That's on exactly those on right. those majors. That's right, and, and the degree programs and, and the courses, all of that stuff. Sorry is, to throw you under the bus, Rhino. A, I know you love zombies. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean to go hard. We got Auditor Shad White in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. We're going to talk some more. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi.
We're back in the Element Well studio with State Auditor Shad White. So I think you make a good point that what's what's missing in this discussion of this explosion of uh, DEI on on campuses is that much of that, if not virtually all of it, is taxpayer funded. Yep. Uh, it's it's Ohio State. Rhino and I looked up the other day. We were talking about that a minute ago. One hundred and thirty-two in their DEI department, yeah. like. I, here's what I think we need, Mr. Otter. I think we need one person who is the uh, uh, the administrator of exclusion. Yeah. What should be looking for is, hey, if if somebody's being excluded, yeah, well, that's an issue. I see what you mean. Yeah, but forcing inclusion just on the basis of physical attributes, not only does it achieve nothing, I would argue that the real people you're trying to to, to persuade, I guess, and trying to uh, to encourage that might harbor some form of racism in their brain. I believe that's something that lives in your brain and in your heart. You can't just mm-hmm. uh, make some assessment without that. Uh, all you do is aggravate them and probably push yeah. them even further to that because they poke you in the eye with it all the time. Well, and, and here's, here's the stated goal of DEI. The stated goal of DEI is to make campuses more diverse. But what they're spending the money on, and it's our money a lot of times, like you said, what they're spending the money on is these uh, these teaching sessions and administrator salaries. So, for example, at one of our universities, uh, they're they're hosting Pride Day with DEI money. Uh, they're hosting a session to read the teachings of Ibram Kendi. And if nobody out there has read Ibram We've Kendi, I would it. encourage you to not read it, but I have, un- unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and, and his teachings are based around this idea that the only remedy for past discrimination is, is present, present and future present. discrimination. Right. So so this is they're using the money to teach an ideology, and we're paying for it. Now, if they really wanted to make campuses more diverse, just hear me out. I know this is crazy. Maybe we should use that money to give scholarships to poor kids. <laughs> wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be mind blowing if we just use that money to give scholarships to poor kids, people that might not have an opportunity to go to college otherwise? Yeah. I mean, th- th- that's the sort of common sense thing that apparently you can't even say out loud now because this DEI religion. Is is so sacrosanct on these university campuses that, that they they have to spend their money on these administrator salaries and these teaching sessions, and it's just not right. It's not right when we have to foot the bill. That's the big problem. The other thing that is uh, of concern that that I think you're aware of is is grade inflation. Yep, is a big problem. Uh, I had a story I shared a couple of weeks ago where a professor I can't remember the school, but. Uh, the policy of this university was to adjust grades upward based on these physical attributes, based on this DEI ideology. Just you give this person, because of their race, their gender, their sexual preference, et cetera, a higher grade. That is wild. Refused to do that, and apparently the administration uh, went into the grading system, the database, and adjusted the grades after he issued them. That is wild. And, and that's you can justify all manner of unfairness with his ideology. That's, that's the right. whole problem, is if you have an ideology that's not based on fairness of treating people the same regardless of how they look or who they are, if you deviate from that, you're opening up this Pandora's box of problems. And, and we just don't need to walk down that road. We need to treat people decently regardless of what they look like, and we need to reward merit. Merit. It's, it's really <laughs> If you can perform. Merit and performance. 
You need to be rewarded. If you can't, sorry, figure it out. Well, the, the problem, as you know, is you, you could look at statistics until you're blue in the face, of course, and, and so many statistics do show disparities. We ought to be talking about solutions to those disparities rather just than just forcing society, yep. like an instructor, you just give higher grades. Well, that's not solving the core problem. No. No. We want to know is why are they not performing as well as their peers of another race or ethnicity? Let's go address that problem. That's right. That's right. Well, look, I'll throw one at you. I'll throw a solution at you. If you want to get at the core problem, you and I both know that one of the the core challenges that we face as a state is we have a higher percentage of kids born into single-parent homes here than any other state in the entire country. And if you look, kids that grow up in a home without an engaged dad are 20 times... Twenty times more likely to end up in prison, nine times less likely to finish high school, five times more likely to end up in poverty. And, of course, when I've said this, you know, one of the statewide Democratic candidates last time called me a big old racist for of saying course. that. Of I'm, course. By the way, I'm just quoting a Barack Obama speech, yeah. so it wasn't racist when he said it a few years ago. <laughs> and I remember that. So we know what the core challenge is. Kids grow up in broken homes, and they're not put on the path to success. So how do we address it? Well, look, we see some things that actually do help. One of those is the high school military program, JROTC. It's a great example. You pair up a kid, especially a kid coming from a broken home, with a military veteran. That veteran becomes sort of like a surrogate parent, a a place-in parent for that kid. And then you look magically, their performance gets better across the board. So Jackson's JROTC program, mind-blowing statistics on this. 100% graduation rate. The kids that come out of that program have a 100% high school graduation rate. That's compared to a 75% high school graduation rate for the rest of Jackson Public Schools. They have a 96% school attendance rate, which is much, much higher than the rest of Jackson Public Schools. They score, on average, three points higher on the ACT. The kids coming out of Jackson Public Schools' JRTC program score, on average, higher on the ACT than the average Mississippi student, period. So we know when you inject mentors into these kids' lives at an early age, you can really address some of the problems downstream. But the answer is not to say, well, he he performed a little bit worse on the ACT. Let's give him three extra points for fun. Because what happens is that person goes on and becomes a doctor and then puts the patient's life at risk when they're not trained properly to be the doctor that they should be. Well, with this great inflation, and in some situations, uh, there are districts, uh, certainly in the in the K through twelve uh, space, that have adopted this concept of ungrading, where they just don't they don't assign objective grades anymore. I haven't heard of this. This uh, is baffling. The, oh yeah, they're at San Diego. <laughs> oh man, Las Vegas, Clark County, fifth largest school district in the country, just adopted this process. These are K twelve schools. K through twelve schools, oh. ungrading. It's just whatever the teacher thinks. They just boom, give them a grade. It's not not based on your performance on test. Your completion of assignments, none of that. That is just not the answer because what you're going to end up with is kids who don't have to prove their aptitude yes. in order to get into medical school, in order to get into engineering school. And so someday somebody's life is going to depend on their skill. No doubt. And and if we have unqualified doctors who've never been assessed or have been given extra points on the test because of who they are, you're going to put a patient's life at risk. I describe it as the march to mediocrity. Yep. And yep. and that's what it feels like, and it's and it's. So we you you said something about this a minute ago. We've gotten to this point where we attempt at least uh, to attribute every disparity 
yep. to some sort of, of uh, racism or suppression. It's Ibram Kendi. That's I exactly mean, he right. basically says that. Well, no, if we got a disparity, um, well, then let's go figure out why that's occurring. You made a great point. We agree with you, by the way, Rhino and, do, we, and I do. We talk about it all the time. The, the dissolution of the nuclear family yep. is the core cause of almost all of our societal problems, and it's irrefutable statistical fact, as you just pointed out. When you have a child that grows up in this stable home environment, yep. this is how they perform. When they don't, and it's, it's irrespective of their race, that's exactly honestly. Right. It just happens to be more prevalent in, in certain racial circles. Well, and, and look back at the history of the United States. Back in the 1950s, the percentage of white women and black women yeah. who were married was about the same. Right. And then we as a government instituted the Great Society programs that were designed to alleviate poverty, but the problem is they made poverty worse. So back then, about 75% of black kids were born into a two-parent home. Today, it's down to 25%. So we created these government programs that, that created all sorts of horrible incentives for families, and all of a sudden, over the course of the past 50, 60 years, black families break up, and then we look up, and all of the problems of poverty seem to be worse. <laughs> and we wonder, how did this happen? Well, we created incentives to destroy families, and, and the family is the way you put people, a stable family is the way you put kids on the path to success later on in life. So we, I really do think we have to get serious about addressing this, because this is, this is one of our fundamental challenges as a state. We still have far too many people in poverty. In Mississippi, you can look back at the data. That poverty travels with families through generations, which is unlike some other states. We've got to get a hold on this, and it starts with the family. That's where it starts. Completely agree. Um, if you can hang around, we can talk it. some more. Let's All do right. it. We got uh, a break right here. Auditor Shad White is our guest. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back in the Element Well studio. Auditor Shad White is our guest. So, all right, so tell me again the name of this legislation that you're pushing for in the next, the whistleblower legislation. So we had, number one is the Whistleblower Reward Act to give private citizens a, a, a percentage of the recovery if they come forward with information about corruption. Other big one is create a commission to study how we fund universities to make sure that dollars are flowing to degree programs that actually prepare kids for a real job and, and not these indoctrination degree programs. Third one, we, we started touching on it a second ago, is JROTC. I mean, the, the return on investment in, in the high school military program, JROTC, is massive. So why don't we 
encourage kids to get in that program. Let's give them free community college or some sort of carrot to encourage kids to get in that program. It's going to do wonders for kids with uh, who are coming from a broken home, from a, a tough environment. It's going to put a mentor in those lives. Those are those are big things that I think we can do that I'm going to be pushing for this year. And and aside from the legislative agenda, I'll I'll add one yeah. uh, into what we were talking about earlier. You know, we we, we talked about getting back to the family and talking about the importance of the family. And, and sometimes people will ask me, they say, yeah, we agree with that, but you can't force daddies to go take care of their kids. What are you going to do? Well, here's one thing that we could do. You know, we know that if a kid finishes high school, gets a job, and gets married before before they have a kid, there's a 97% chance that they will never end up in poverty. That's not me making that up. That's Statistical the, that's, fact. That's the Brookings Institution, a yep. left-leaning institution that's right. that has studied this and said that's the sequence if you want to not end up in poverty. I think that every kid in a Mississippi public school ought to have to memorize those three things. Get a job, finish your degree, get married before you have kids. That would help solve our poverty problem if we mesh that that information in those kids' brains so that when they wake up at 1 a.m., they can spout it off. You know, that that's the kind of thing that we have to get back to to strengthen the core institutions of our society so that we don't have problems downstream where kids are, are off on a bad road, they're headed toward prison or poverty or whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, you know, I just wonder if that, if that is something that – we could require from a, uh, a legislative perspective as part of our curriculum? Would that in any way uh, conflict with federal standards, for example? I mean, it seems reasonable to me. You know, I, I think if you can require In God We Trust to be on the wall, which is a great thing in our classrooms, you could require the success sequence to be okay. on the wall. Well, I, That's my guess. Yeah, Make the Biden administration tell us no on that and see how it goes. Uh, we'll take them to court. Let's see how it goes. I, I'm for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, only an attempt to try to educate uh, our most precious asset, mm-hmm. which is our young folks, on on uh, the prospects for having a, a most prospect for having a productive life. That's, that's what right. it's, that's what it should be all about. We got to get away from this this just I got to have instant gratification today situation because often that instant gratification, as you know, and whatever that benefit is to you, uh, causes problems down the road. Yep, and, and we've got to get away as a society from from praising victimhood you know that's the other big thing it's like oh well if you ended up in poverty you know this is the only way this happened is because of a series of unfortunate circumstances that were beyond your control yes that sometimes happens sometimes people have issues they have health issues mental health issues whatever but we know just to say it again if you finish high school you get a job and you get married before you have kids there's a 97 percent chance you're never in poverty so I've had folks tell me, well, you can't say that out loud because people can't control that. Like, people can't control avoiding having kids before they get married. Like, like, there's one thing that causes it, and you can control it. Hate to say it. Usually you can control it unless there's some sort of horrible crime, right? So we know there are common sense steps that every person can take. Almost every person can take to make sure that they don't end up in a terrible position later in life. So why not tell kids what the steps are? Why not be transparent with these kids and tell them what they can do to lead life off on a good foot? It, it makes perfect sense. And, and again, the statistics back this up. And these are statistics that have been uh, in the process of, of, uh, of just being gained, I should say, by sociologists and, and economists and others yep. that have, have compiled all this data. 
Uh, no, none of this is inaccurate. I mean, this has been around for decades. That's right. This, this that's is right. Not, not, we just woke up and realized, hey, yeah, this is the kind of the the, the secret to uh, achieving success in life. We've known this for some time. Well, there's there's this Maryland economist who has a new book called The Two Parent Privilege, and her point in this is that this is one of the most robust findings in social science that a stable two parent household leads to good outcomes, usually in the long run. This is one of the most stable outcomes, one of the most robust outcomes across social science. And you hear folks on the left, they claim to be the the side of evidence and the side of science, and then you look up and they don't want to hear this science. They don't want to hear this. You know, you could be you could be a BLM protester and and be protesting in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and that's okay. You know, we're going to ignore the science in that case, and social science we're going to ignore if it says two parents are good. But everything else, we're all about. We're, we love that science. We've been accumulating this data for decades. Exactly right. <laughs> it's not exactly anything right. that we just popped up and started analyzing and produced some white paper on. This has been going on. I'm for glad a long we have time. a member of the legislature here listening to my legislative agenda. This <laughs> is great. This is a great way to start right here. <laughs> and a, about to be a powerful member. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well. I could better. One. He already isn't, but even more powerful. I uh, appreciate you coming in, Mr. Otter, and uh, enjoy the conversation. Thanks, brother. Yeah, man. Coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. After Fox News and Super Talk News, it is Representative Manley Barton. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. It is hour two of the program on this. Hump day. We welcome now into the Element Well studio Representative Manley Barton. He represents District 109, and he is the nominee as Speaker Pro Tem. Recently that occurred. Uh, congratulations and welcome, uh, Representative Barton. Thank you, Gerard. It's uh, it was um, I was very honored and humbled by the show of confidence, I guess, in me to yeah. uh, to fill this role coming up in the in this new term. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, you should be. It's awesome, and you guys are going to be under the dome here, I guess, in less than a month. Yes, I don't know, twenty six, twenty seven days, something like that. So yeah. it's it's, it's going to get here before we know it. Well, uh, it should be an interesting and <laughs> eventful uh, session, and we're going to have a new speaker. It looks like that uh, Jason White is likely to uh, be voted in. Right. Uh, he's the nominee as the speaker for the chamber. We've got a returning incumbent lieutenant governor, returning uh, incumbent governor. So at least uh, the two-thirds there stays the same. little change over there in your chamber. In the House, tell us what you uh, you see as uh, being the priorities legislatively in 2024. Well, I think there's probably three or four things that have um, 
have been in the news. It's been on talk radio a lot about, uh, uh, and, and we'll see where you know where they go once the session starts. Uh, certainly, we've got the. Uh, there's a lot of been, been discussion about school choice. That's, yep. that's an issue out there. Um, uh, we'll. I'm sure we'll look at that extensively. Uh, <clears throat> we there's still some discussions about income tax, about what we may do there. Uh, the income tax elimination we did a couple of years ago brought us down to a four percent flat tax. It it comes in over a three, three or four years year yep. period, and so we're not there completely. Uh, so anything we might do now would would tag in on the end of that. And so, uh, but in that same discussion, there has been also. Uh, well, while we're talking about that, uh, you know, we have uh, we have the highest grocery tax in the country. You know, should we do something about that? Uh, there was a period in uh, in the mid nineties when car tax got so expensive, people sometimes their their purchase of a, of a car was you might say they looked at you know what's tagging the cost of this mm-hmm. thing if I buy it, you know, mm-hmm. and so the legislature at that time did something basically cut the car tags about in half mm. and um and so we're we're kind of there again i mean it's been 25 30 years and so you know that's something a lot of people want us to look at you know can we do something about car tags so i think on the tax issue you know we're certainly going to look at income tax i think there will be some discussion about a grocery tax and 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 somewhere in that mix, there's going to be a discussion about could we or should we do anything about car tax. So so all of those things are several hundred million dollars if we if you take you know if you do something. So mm-hmm. you know all of those things will uh, will be part of that that discussion. Certainly, there's um, there's been a lot of discussion this summer in in, in the campaigns about the um, uh, the health care situation in the state. Ways that we might can do something. The governor has has uh, weighed in on that also. Yeah. Uh, as a part of that, I'm I think uh, the Medicaid expansion. Uh, I don't I don't see that happening necessarily, but I think I think whether or not we we expand or not expand, I think we're gonna we're gonna look at it. And as somebody said the other day, at least at, at after the end of the discussion, if you don't do it, you can say why you're not going to do it. And if you're going to do it, you ought to be able to say why you're going to do it. You know yeah. what the benefits are. Yeah. And I'm not sure today that I know that answer. And I'm hoping at the end of that discussion, I'll know what that answer is. And then <clears throat> what I call kind of the 600 pound gorilla in the room is the purge. Yep. And so. I think those four things are going to be the big things. The purse in particular, uh, as and, and let me give kudos to you. You wrote a great article. I've I've read it. Recommended other people read it. Um, Appreciate and, that. And you 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 kind of you, you I thought explained very very well what the issues are, kind of how we got here. Um, and there's a whole bunch of factors, including. Uh, what I call a conservative government. We we're a smaller government now than we were at one time, and I think in the article you I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's eighteen twenty thousand less employees than we had just a few years ago. Yeah. Well, if you have got that many fewer employees paying into the system, this is as you said, this is the type of system that re- it needs the income to pay the current benefits. Yeah. And so, uh, so so some things have changed in the system. So the the dynamics that keeps it afloat has has changed a little bit, um, and there's probably 
I don't know, there may be eight or ten different things that you could do, probably three or four major things you could do uh, that makes a difference 25 years from now or 30 years from now. Right. And so I don't think there's any one thing uh, you mentioned in the article, and, it, and I thought this is very, very true. At the end of the day, if, if we do something, and I think we, we're going to have to do something, um, it's probably going to be a combination of things. Yeah. And, and sitting down with the experts and saying, okay, if we do this, what does it do down here? And then if we do this, what does it do down here? Well, if we do the combination, what does it do? Right. So I, I think I think we're going to get people smarter than me in the room that's going to look at this stuff, tell us the things that we can do, and um, and then at the end of the day, we're we're going to have to make the decision as to what we are going to do. Yeah. And so, um, but I, but I think those are the big things okay. that I know about. Um, there's always one or two that you don't know about before the session that becomes a big issue after you get started. Yeah. What so, right, What about the the ballot initiative process? Something that we hadn't been able to yeah. get uh, reinstated. Well, as as has been stated by a lot of people, the, the biggest difference in in I think we all want to do one, and I say that I, I believe everybody wants to 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 put the the ballot initiative back out there. The biggest uh, uh, disagreement between the House and the Senate has been the number of signatures. You know, and and what I have told people, I said, look, I I don't know what the number is, and it it ought not be easy. But it ought not be impossible. Yeah. I mean, it, it need, you need to be – you don't – if you made it too easy, we'd have 25, 30 initiatives on every ballot. And, and that's not, I don't think, good government. But mm-hmm. I think there are times when there is an issue that um, maybe the legislature is not addressing that people are passionate enough about that, that they'll go out and do it. So I, I do think that there's a number in there that we ought to be able to agree on, on the, you know, signature-wise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that you're right. That that's that's been the issue and and uh, the conflict between the two chambers. The Senate wanted a higher threshold than the House. The House essentially wanted to to keep in place the existing twelve uh, percent of those who voted in the most recent gubernatorial election. And the Senate wanted a, a, had a different formula that would have required a good bit more signatures. Yeah. But right. Uh, I probably hear this, Representative Barton, more than any other issue is is just this feeling that the legislature is is not working together to in a united way to reinstate something that they just felt like they had and was taken away from them. Essentially. Right, right. I think I think there is a I think the sentiment in in the legislature is to um, is to is to get this done. You know, and and. I, I, I don't know that we'll do it this year. I, I hope we do. Uh, I think it's something that we need to do. Um, and, and I don't know that we're that far apart. It's right. just, you know, just for whatever reason, we just could not get to a number that both ends would agree with. Yeah. And so, you know, we've, we've had some changes in, 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 in folk, and, and the Senate's had some changes also. But I think we're going to put a, a, a good faith effort into trying to, uh, trying to bring something out. And of course, this is uh, this is something that the that the citizens have to ratify at the ballot because this would be an amendment to the Constitution. That's right. So uh, whatever the 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 House and Senate would agree on does not require uh, approval by the by the governor because this would be a resolution that would be referred to the ballot. It has to be a statewide election. So twenty twenty four, we do have statewide elections. Right. That that would be timely. Yeah. Uh, I think the next would be twenty six. Yes, so, I think so. 
Um, and I think that's what folks see is that there's just kind of a delay yeah. here. We had chances and, and didn't get something there. And and you know we have an opportunity this year to do it and, yeah. and get it on the ballot. So yeah. so I you know I I can't predict anything. You know how yeah. that is. But uh, but I have high hopes that we that we'll get something in place. Yeah. Well, if you can hang around, we got a break. We can talk some more here. Yeah. We Thank got you. Manley Barton. From the Mississippi House of Representatives, he is the Speaker Pro Tem nominee. Stay with us. We're coming right by. Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight. Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight. Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays, live in the Element Well studio. Representative Manley Barton, he is the Speaker Pro Tem nominee in our studio today. Appreciate uh, Representative Barton for coming on. So uh, you're obviously in the area. You're, you're here. We're, we're glad. We appreciate you're able to be here in person. Uh, have you guys been conducting some meetings here in in advance of the of the session? Well, you know, there's always some things to do, you know, and and uh, uh, we I keep an apartment here, so it's yeah. convenient yeah. to come up for a few days at a time and and try to get some things done, you know, here as opposed to trying to do it over the phone. Sometimes yeah. it's just easier and better. Um, so I I spend uh, some time up here. My wife's family is still here. Okay. And so she comes with me some and visits with her family, and they do things, and, you know, and I stay out of the way. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Well, uh, I, I didn't know if – have you uh, met with uh, Speaker White? Have you guys done some just one-on-one discussion planning? A, a little bit. We, we've been we've been talking. And, I called and, him speakers, not yet the yeah, speaker, yeah, but the nominee. But, but, uh, but yeah, we, we've been talking a little bit, um, uh, not – too much in depth at this point, but uh, just in general, yeah. and, and just kind of talking through some things. Yeah. We're going to have a, you know, one of the things I, I we were talking about just the other day. We're going to have seventy nine Republicans this time, seventeen of who are going to be new. Wow! Uh, and on the Democratic side, they're going to have forty one, I think that's right, and eight new. And okay. so, and then I think you, I think there's two independents you throw in there. So, ends up 122. So I think okay. it's, it's 79, two, and 41. I think. Okay. But but total, I think we've got 25 new members altogether. 
Um, and, you know, that's at the beginning, you know, of course, there's all the inaugural balls and yeah. all the things that go with <laughs> all the pomp and circumstance, all the pomp and circumstance <laughs> that goes with the beginning of a, of a new term. And so um, uh, so there'd be a lot of stuff going on to begin with. Uh, we kind of jokingly talk about the new members, you know, they come in. Uh, they hadn't been around the process, you know. They drink out of a fire hose for a little while, yeah. trying to trying to figure out what's going on. But uh, but they'll, they'll come around, and and uh, actually the the uh, new member orientation is actually tomorrow. Okay. And so there's 25 will be at the Capitol and go through a whole day of different people talking to them about different parts of the process and what to expect and. Uh, you know, getting personal information for paychecks and all. I mean, just it's the, yeah. literally the, the all of the like things. Like an on- onboarding if yeah, you would yeah, do in yeah. a private company. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You okay. bring them in and, and you kind of show them around a little bit, show them where the bathrooms are. <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, but it's, but it's, uh, it's, it's a very uh, intense at times process. And uh, you, you've been in the Capitol many times. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, just a lot going on. And uh, and when you first get there, it's um, you you wonder about if anything's happening with all the madness that's going on, you know. <laughs> but there actually is work getting done, yeah. And so uh, that's right. So it's um, and and in some respects, uh, some respects, it's fun, you know. What about committee assignments? You see, you see any anything kind of earth shaking there? I mean, you got lots of new folks, you got lots of returning folks, but you got a lot of committees. You got a lot of committees. That's right, and so you've got probably in the House. There's I forget thirty eight, maybe forty committees. That 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 means there's forty chairmen, there's forty vice chairmen. So yeah. that's that's eighty uh, right there. If if there's forty, and I'm not sure exactly what the number yeah. is. And so you you get into a numbers game. You you've got a bunch of new people uh, that's coming in, like in our case, seventeen. So uh, you know you you've got You've got some experience across the board uh, on the other side of the aisle. Where do you do you take advantage of that, or you not, or you do you? Yeah. You know, and it's the same situation in the Senate. The Senate, Senate runs yeah. into that same Actually, problem. A little more and, difficult. I'm just fixing to say it's probably even the the problem exacerbated down there just because there's only the 50, numbers. Just the numbers. Yeah. yeah. So so um, so the, it's it's an issue that that speaker will have to. Uh, He'll have to figure out, you know, they, we, you know, everybody writes down at the beginning of the session, you know, what their preferences yeah. are. They, they'd like to be on these committees and, and as best they can, they try to do that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, so everybody gets an opportunity to be on at least a couple of the committees they really have an interest in. Yeah. And so, uh, but that's, but, but that's, and it, but that has to ha- that all has to happen pretty quick. Yeah, I mean it's not a. I mean within the the first two or three weeks, all those committee and committee chairman, everything is announced. So, so all those decisions got to be made pretty quick. Is this something you and Representative White have been talking about? Well, not not specifically in terms of this person with this committee. We we've talked about the the fact that that's got to happen. Okay, and and it's a very short time frame. Okay. And so, um, so we, but but yeah, at 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 the proper time, we'll probably sit down and he's got ideas. I probably have some that yeah. I can throw out on the table. And and uh, but at the end of the day, it's his decision, it, right? Yeah. yeah. I just wasn't and sure so, if there was if he um, uh, kind of sought input uh, from you as the as the uh, uh, probable speaker pro tem here. Is that kind of part of the process? I, I get I think it. it. It's it is. There, it's I there. think it is. Yeah. If they're elected, I mean, they have the power to That's do what right. they want. That's, That's right. the way the system works. 
And uh, uh, but it makes sense to seek some input from. Well, and, and I would I would think he would seek input from a number of people. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if 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 I were in that role, I you know, I I would I would want a number of people that I trusted that that I thought had good insight into things to to give me some recommendations. Yeah. You know? And. Um, but yeah, I, he's he's got a tough job. Yeah. a tough job. Yeah. And and uh, but that goes with uh, being the speaker. Yeah. Know? And uh, but and I I think uh, I think Representative White will will do a great job. I really do. I mean he's he's uh, he's been in the uh, the the circle like you would call it the leadership team for for a number of years. Yeah. So so he's been very involved in in a lot of the major decisions that we've made. Uh, major things we have taken up, he's been a part of, and so I, I mean, this is this is just a continuation of the role, you know, that he's been in. I think he's done a great job, and I think people recognize that. Well, in my discussions with him, uh, he he's got a full agenda. I mean, there, there's a lot that he wants to address and tackle. I think most of that you you laid out for us today. Uh, but he he doesn't seem to be interested in wasting any time in, in getting yeah. on those things. Right. I mean that that's been my sense. Of yeah, it. I, I I think you're right. I think you're right. Do you expect? Uh, and this may you may, you may find this to be an unfair question. Do you expect that he and Lieutenant Governor Hoseman will have uh, a good working relationship? I think so. I believe so. Yeah. Um, uh, I've always had a great relationship with Lieutenant Governor. Um, but that doesn't mean we agree on a lot of stuff. Sure. I mean, we disagree on things, and when we disagree, we disagree. And and I don't mind telling him I yeah. disagree with him. Yeah. But but there hadn't really been that many you know disagreements. Most of the things we've disagreed on have been kind of minor things. Okay. You know, when you get down to trying to finalize something, and you got one or two little things that you you're trying to make a point to you know get. Uh, we certainly disagreed on some things, but uh, but generally, I I get along very well with Lieutenant Governor. I think, I, and I, and I think Jason White does too. Okay. Well, I, I guess what you know what I think the people see, Representative Barton, is that you think about uh, tax reform, major tax reform, um, education choice, uh, the ballot initiative, all things that kind of went to the Senate and died. Yeah. And I think folks see that, and there's this, at least there's this perception that there's there's lack of full alignment on some of these uh, high-profile issues. Well, I, there's no question that we have different opinions about how to solve some problems. Yeah. There, I, and I'll, That's I'll fair enough. And, but I think, you know, hopefully, and, and, and I hate to use the word hopefully, but, I, but I'm hoping that... Um, with the with the changes that we we have here in new leadership, that maybe we can, you know, sit down with them and say, look, you know, how do we how do we get there? You know, we're you know we're not where y'all are, y'all are not where we are, but is there some place in the middle? You yeah. Know, is there you know how do we how do we how do we move forward and actually accomplish this? Yeah. And and I and I'm I'm hopeful that 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 they're gonna be, you know, it's not a one way street. You know, you, we can't dictate to them and they can't dictate to us. Sure. And, and it's just we've got to figure out a way to work together, or those particular issues are never going to get settled. Yeah. And and so I, I just I have. I just high, I have high hopes that that we're going to be able to do that this year. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think that's the right attitude. Honestly, you certainly don't want to go into it thinking, oh, well, that's impossible. I even tried that. Yeah. I, so yeah. I, I applaud you and, yeah. and appreciate that attitude. I think that's the right one to have. Yeah. I, it does seem like that 
maybe some discussions and conversations uh, off the record between the leaders of the respective bodies before we get to the point where something gets transferred and transmitted from one chamber to the other and, and, and don't go anywhere. Well, I think no. I think what you're saying is is absolutely correct. You know, the the, the relationships that we develop with leadership in the Senate yeah. are critical. Yeah. And and you know whether it's uh, Lieutenant Governor. Yep. You know his staff or, or uh, you know the the leaders in in the financial two committees, Briggs and Josh. You know we Hope need relationships that. with them. We got to go. Appreciate you coming on, Representative Manley Martin. Folks, we're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Well Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Quick check of the markets. Looks like the Dow is up 28, the NASDAQ up Nine trying to find some direction. The old kangaroo is hopping around today. Has been back and forth across that unchanged line, going into positive and then the negative territory and then back. So hard to tell where all that's going. Typically December, January, good months for the market. I hope that's the case like to see some good returns there. You know, we were talking earlier with uh, Auditor Shad White about this ungrading phenomenon that has uh, become uh, kind of trendy. Yale. Yale University. Wow. A supermajority of undergraduate grades given out were an A or A minus. Really? This was... Um, Good old grade inflation. Exactly right. So this was uh, obtained by the Yale Daily News. They got the grade report from an economics professor at uh, the university, the Ivy League University, which is, by the way, located in Connecticut. The dean of the college, the undergraduate branch of the university, acknowledged that professors are not properly grading students. 78.9% of grades given in the 22-23 year were A or A-. minus. It was 81.9% in 2021. You think all those people are truly these students are earning those grades legitimately? I mean, at least some of them are. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure, some of them are. But 
It is Yale. It's full of smart kids, right? Well, sure, it's supposed to be. That's right. But they're supposed to make it hard. It does appear, according to the analysis, that STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and math, have lower percentages of A-range grades, and humanities subjects have higher percentages. That kind of stands to reason, does it not? Yep. So half of economic students achieved an A. That's okay. At Yale, I could appreciate that. Meanwhile, 82.21% of African-American studies students, what is that, earned an A or A-. minus With an enrollment greater than... 500. Hmm. That's for courses with an enrollment, I should say, greater than 500. What exactly does one do with a degree in some of these crazy majors? What do you do with that? You go on to work in the DEI industry. I got you. I'm afraid you're right, which is just a shakedown at the end of the day. Or you go to work for a consulting firm that features DEI and CRT. And unfortunately, there are lots of private and public sector companies that will pay handsomely for those services, have no idea what they achieve, except forcing you to accept your privilege and make these DEI statements and forcing people to hire based on immutable traits as opposed to true qualifications or promote based on that as opposed to performance and value contribution. In the state of Ohio, one we've talked about, because of Ohio State just has this gigantic DEI department, a bill, this is just from yesterday, by the way, a bill in the Ohio State Legislature which would eliminate mandatory diversity training at the public universities in the state and limit the degree to which these institutions would address this topic because it never gets addressed, you know this, in in an environment and framed with just open discourse, civil discussion, examining, considering, consuming multiple points of view, it doesn't. It, it, gets, it, it gets kind of flushed out and communicated and conveyed with one point of view, that of the instructor, as opposed to letting people who have different ideas about this, different feelings and views on it, offer their opinions for all to hear and consume. That's what the college educational environment is supposed to be. And that's not the case. Well, in in Ohio, the Republicans have withdrawn this bill. So it's not going anywhere. The Speaker of the House, a Republican, stated last week that the bill lacks the necessary support to pass the House which is under the control of Republicans. So they're succumbing, I bet, to the pressure. K 
Kent State University student body president, Kent State, of course, located in Ohio. Julie Buniato stated in her testimony against the measure during a recent House committee meeting, quote, it's a non-existent problem. I wonder what they mean, that they're not really uh, pressing the issue of DEI in the classroom, in the university environment. It's not a high priority from the university administration. What, I wonder what that means. It's a non-existent problem. Now, I can understand a student coming forward and maybe discussing racism on campus, uh, bigotry, where they may say, yeah, it's either a minor or a non-existent problem. And I think that's probably the case. But I can't imagine that they would say, oh, yeah, that we really don't have any sort of, I- any sort of information or content related to that in the classroom. It's not part of the curricula. It's not part of the pedagogy. I just d- I doubt it. I really do. I, because it's so dead gum pervasive, it's, it would be hard to believe that's the case. But it looks like that in the state of Ohio, it ain't going anywhere. That legislation isn't. We certainly shall see. Biden is presently, I'm watching him in the studio here. He is speaking live at the White House. And he is encouraging, if not imploring, the Congress to pass funding for Ukraine. Republicans have steadfastly stated that any deal that includes any additional Ukraine funding will be accompanied by additional funding to secure the border. And... Senate Democrats, in particular, Chuck Schumer, has basically said that idea is, quote, radical. It's just unbelievable. Yesterday, 12,000, I saw a report, 12,000 migrants entered the country at the southern border. 12,000 in one day. One day. And I saw an interview with some of these migrants They're not saying, yeah, I came here to escape oppression or harsh treatment, hostile treatment in my home country. That would be seeking legitimate, genuine seeking of asylum, right? I think that's the definition of it. No, they're saying, yeah, I came here for opportunity. It's the land of opportunity. It's crazy to me, is it not, that folks coming from other countries illegally assert that this country is the land of opportunity when we have leftists in this country, and in particular spoiled brats on our college campuses that are spoiled with the incumbency? Well, it's because the majority of leftists are either just naive or they're educated beyond their ability to comprehend. Yeah, yeah, just... Plain old logic and discernment. <laughs> it's just out the window. Yeah, it's a concern. Hmm. Well, he's talking about it right now. 
He said he's willing to do significantly more on the border. What does that mean exactly? You've done, you've shown no interest in that since you've been in office. Zero. Quite the opposite. Coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. Did you hear the news about Brenda Lee's classic? Like the goat, right? Rocking around the Christmas tree. What about it? It's number one on the Billboard yeah. charts. It beat out Mariah Carey. The goat. Greatest of all time. That is something. She's something. Only took 65 years. <laughs> That's right. Oh, Carolyn in Oxford says, GQ Magazine Man of the Year is Kim Kardashian. Is that a joke or is that true? That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a world where you have to ask that question. Is that a joke? <laughs> I know. Which I'm pretty sure that is sarcasm. Okay. It wouldn't surprise me, though, right? Crazy stuff going Although on. I don't have a subscription to GQ and or haven't read a single issue, I don't believe. I used to read it a uh, long time ago. Uh, mainly, I had just an interest of following the styles back in the 80s. Kind of cool, but um, it's it's devolved, not the same. That's what it focused on back in those days. I thought that was neat. Mike at Oxford says the director of faculty development at Ole Miss is one of those ungrading loons. I have heard, I think I've seen like written articles about, um, I want to say it was chemistry, a chemistry professor. That will at uh, the university that allows students to retake tests as often as they'd like till they get the grade they're satisfied with, and and is pushing for that in other departments in the university. Sounds like they aren't a very good educator. But they have so many students having problems with their tests that they have to take them over and over and over again before they get the results they need. I, you know, you do wonder about that. Uh, I would agree. Kind of like in relationships. If every single person you've ever dated winds up being crazy, maybe the crazy lies within. Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I mean, I, I disagree with that, the concept in general. I, I think I, I'm a firm believer in objective grading and no excuses for and, and no no passes to a student for not completing assignments and you know and getting into all the weeds of all the possible explanations as to why I mean it's endless right I just think you've got to stand firm on those sorts of policies 
You certainly do in the private sector. You, you just can't tell the market. Oh, sorry, we missed that. I mean, you, you can. You, you probably aren't going to last very long. You're not. You're going to have a difficult time succeeding. It seems like those. Gosh, if that's probably if you think about it, one of the primary takeaways from a college education is is managing your time, is completing something, assignment after assignment, a course, a major, a degree. It's it's that start and finish, complete something. I do think separates. In many cases, not across the board, but it is something that I think often separates those that attend from those that don't. And I think that's of of greater value to the student in many cases than just the content that they're learning in the books, in the classrooms. There's something to be said for that. Now, again, I'm generalizing that that doesn't apply across the board to all people, but it can often be a distinguishing factor. But this idea that, oh, yeah, you don't have to turn your assignments on, in on time, and you don't have to actually answer the questions correctly on the test. Here's your A. Have a good life. No, I disagree with that. And to some extent, that is happening. And there are, you remember the the one I remember that was so prominent was the USC professor, University of Southern California, accounting. That was fired because he refused to to uh, give subjectively higher grades to the black students in his class. And he got fired, and he sued, and he won, and he got reinstated. He just said, "No, it's, I'm not going to do it. it. This is we we practice objective grading here, especially, and it, I shouldn't say especially, but accounting is one of those things where just being kind of sort of right." Don't cut the mustard. There there are millions of other examples of this as well where, now getting it right is pretty important, like flying an airplane or operating on a human body come come to mind. And there are countless examples. I mean, I, I couldn't list them all on the show, but where getting something right means something versus failing to get it. That's a big thing. And we're, we seem to be teaching that it's okay. You're still going to get your A, even though you've got nothing right here. Take zero responsibility for any of your actions. Exactly. That will be a boon for your existence. Yeah, you're oppressed. It's not you. That's what we're teaching in many situations. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. Coming right back with the afternoon portion of Middays. Please stay with us. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Hour three of the program on this. Hump day. Hot off the press. Hot off the press. Former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, resigning out at the end of this month. 
Wow. I thought you were going to let us know if the GQ thing was real. Because <laughs> apparently, I didn't dig it into is. That. Oh, is it really? Are you kidding me? Kim Kardashian is GQ's Man of the Year. That's disgusting. Why do they think they have to do that crap? Why? Why do they constantly have to shove this stuff down your throats? That's why I named one of GQ's Men of the Year. Okay. Still doesn't make any sense. She ain't a man. Oh, my gosh. It's so sickening. Totally. I don't get it. I really don't. Tired of it. That's cultural appropriation right there is what it is. Man, oh, man. Wall Street CEOs are presently on the Hill testifying in front of Congress. Guess who's asking questions as I'm watching? Senator John Fetterman in a stupid black hoodie in the U.S. Senate. I thought that wasn't allowed. I I thought they issued rules, standards, dress standards, dress code that disallowed that. I thought even the Democrats were on board with that. Is it a committee meeting or on the whole, on the floor? Well, you could be right. Maybe they're, since they're not, I guess, on the full floor here in the chamber, in a in a meeting room. That is that just galls me, honestly. This guy's a U.S. senator with a stupid hoodie on, asking bank CEOs questions. I can't wait to find out what the heck he asked them. Of course, I'm sure somebody handed him, right, on his staff, question or questions. I'd like to know what that guy asked. He's been getting it from both sides recently. He has because of his stance on Israel, right? Oh, yeah. Walking around with an Israeli flag as a cape. (laughs) What a goofball. Missing posters up outside his office. What a total goofball. Look no further than that guy being in the U.S. Senate to know how upside down things are, unfortunately. It just feels like it. It's just disgusting. Well, he's out. Kevin McCarthy. He will resign from Congress at the end of the year. Quote, I know my work is only getting started. The congressman from California said in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I didn't read it. He, uh, of course, he was a big-time fundraiser. Now, you can't you can't take that away from him or deny that he was very effective in raising money for Republicans. No doubt about it. Something else that is of interest with respect to members of the U.S. House, Patrick McHenry, the Republican from North Carolina, you'll know him from his uh, familiar bowtie dress. He's chair of the House Financial Services Committee. He said that he's not running again. He's not going to seek re-election. He was Speaker of the House for a short period of time, recall. Patrick McHenry. Interim. Yeah, interim. Thought to be uh, he's a bit moderate, I think, is a way to describe him. But he says that he's out. That kind of feels like he uh, 
he let his dark horse outside chance of being speaker go to his head a little bit, and then when the reality of no, we 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 don't want you settle in, it's like, well, why am I here, and why am I working with these people? Yeah, it kind of seems like it. I I would tend to agree. Well, that's that's big news, honestly. Big news, Chris in Forest County. He, uh, I wanted to pass this on. He said this while Representative Manley Barton was on the program. He says that he was an excellent legislature, legislator, pardon me, but formerly one of the best county supervisors that a district could elect and a fine gentleman to boot. Uh, I, I um, asked Representative Barton offline about his experience as a supervisor and Apparently, the county had some issues, financial issues, a uh, little little bit on the reckless spending side that he and the other supervisors were able to get cleaned up. I think he'll be an excellent speaker pro tem, honestly. he, um, he He's a person that's really good at developing relationships and, and working with people. I've heard nothing but high praise and positive feedback from members of the House. My friend, uh, Representative Fred Shanks from Rankin County, said he's the goat <laughs> in the House. So I I, uh, I look forward to um, talking to him and and uh, who's likely to be our speaker, Jason White, and of course Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, the governor, et cetera. I look forward to talking to members of both chambers and working through some of these issues. I, I have found out, as you heard, Representative Barton state that. A lot of folks have read that PERS article, Rhino, and the thing that that, – and look, I get nothing out of that other than I'm just trying to help, honestly. Um, I don't have a dog in the hunt one way or another, but it's a serious issue. I'm a resident of the state, and it's something the state has got to address. And uh, if it it stimulates the discussion and and gets people serious about addressing the issue, then it was worth it. Uh, I, I have found out indirectly that folks at PERS have also read the, the piece. And the fact that they hadn't called me and said, hey, you got that wrong, I, I, I feel like means that is accurate. And that was my goal. I don't want to say anything that would not be accurate. That certainly would not serve any purpose. Speaking of which, i got to talk about Donald Trump in his town hall last night with Sean Hannity. So Donald Trump, of course, made the statement, you may or may not be aware, that when he was asked if he was going to be a dictator, and it was, it was I think, a, a question by Sean Hannity in response to so many on the left that have been pounding the drums of this narrative that we can't possibly elect Donald Trump because he'd be a fascist dictator, which is just gross, ridiculous hyperbole. Uh, maybe a lot of things you don't like about Donald Trump, but that's that's dumb to say that. That's absurd. But that's what they think. If anything, the weaponization of the deep bureaucratic state by this current president he leans closer to that assertion than I think Donald Trump in any way, stretch, or form. So the question was, I think, to give the former president the opportunity 
to respond to that assertion by the left. And he said something that I would have advised him not to say, honestly. Um, and he, I don't and think he, he takes advice on what to say. I think you're right. But you know what I mean here. And I'll explain it to you if you didn't hear it. Uh, he said, yeah, I'm going to be a, a dictator. I'm paraphrasing a bit, except for day one. Now, what's happened is is that the, the statement about abusing power and being a dictator, uh, you know, this contextualization <laughs> nonsense. Well, the left, who always tells you you got to contextualize it, they're doing the exact opposite here, right, because they're not – They've already creating ads and talking points and all sorts of videos and audio and and articles about it where they don't contextualize what the former president said. Uh, and and so when him when he responds to this question about being a dictator, he says that he will be on day one in two ways. He's going to close the border, and, and, I want, and I'm quoting him, I want to close the border, and I want to drill, drill, drill. But when asked, will you be a dictator, his immediate response was, except for day one. And, and this was the question was, you're promising America tonight you would never abuse power as retribution against anyone, he said, except for day one. Well, the left is running with that exchange. See, we told you, he's a fascist dictator. And, of course, then Hannity correctly asked him, can you clarify that, sir? And he says, yeah, I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. And he wants to do that day one. Okay, that's reasonable. But, unfortunately... Only a snippet of that exchange is is now making its way into uh, leftist media sources and just the left in general, and they're feasting on it. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles song. Love me do, I think it was, from there it didn't take him long. Got himself a guitar, used to play every night. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well studio. So the exchange between uh, Sean Hannity and Donald Trump. I love this guy, Trump said, referring to Hannity. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border, and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. I just think that was an ill-advised remark, and of course the Biden campaign seizing upon it and going crazy uh, with it. It's uh, It'll be used against him. Well, you know how effective that is in the race. I don't know. But I, I did 
I mean, just look at the way people think about or the way people believe Trump was glorifying white supremacists and white nationalists in, in Charlottesville with his very fine people statement. You only ever hear about, well, there's very fine people on both sides. You never hear the second half of the compound sentence except for the white nationalists. That's right. And, and of course, you got to be careful. And the way you make statements, and you don't always think about someone parsing it out like that and using it against you in a nefarious fashion, in this case, of course, in politics, uh, to, to boost one side and, and uh, hurt another, harm another. You don't think about that. And, and what he said, I get it. it it's just that, it, unfortunately, it... Uh, it, it does get sort of commandeered, <laughs> and then it takes a life of its own. But there were several things that the former president talked about. The border, of course, huge. And, you know, I, I'd like to think, if he's elected, that uh, we could return to the situation we had at the border while he was president. I, uh, I have my doubts, honestly. I'm not sure why. I just feel like that it's it, it's kind of evolved to a point where I'm not sure that there's the will or the appetite or the means to reverse all that and return it to what it once was. I hope so because it's ridiculous and it's it's scary. He got asked about are there terrorists that are crossing over and and of course. The observation was made that most are young males. They don't appear to be seeking asylum, but potentially up to no good. And Hannity asked him, do you think that we are at risk of a, a terrorist attack as a result of people we don't know coming from a variety of countries, including China? A significant uptick. And young males crossing over from China. What are they doing here? How the heck did they get out of China to get here? Is a question. Kind of wonder. Is the Chinese, is the CCP planting them over here? It's it's a difficult one. Well, he was asked a question. I mean, there are illicit and illegal Chinese labs that have been busted on yeah. American soil. You've had quote-unquote, Chinese police forces arrested on American soil. Yeah. Scary. You just don't usually see it in the national news. That's right. It makes the local news where it happens, but then it just kind of goes away. Seems like it. But it's scary. Well, when Trump was asked, what are the what are the, what are the chances of some sort of terrorist attack? He said 100%. Multiple times. 100%. That's a scary prospect to think about, honestly. I hope that's not the case. But but how in the heck do you know when there's 12,000 in one day that come over? The potential Was it the FBI director that said when, not if? Yeah. When I asked about the terror alert? Sure did. Something else that Mr. Trump talked about was uh, oil. I mean, he, he, he dwelled on that, the, you know, return to the, the policy of his first term, which was obviously much more friendly to the fossil fuels industry. And this drill, baby, drill, 
I mean, I support that. I'm for that. Here's my concern, though, is that when you think about oil and gas producers, you got this four-year window. It could turn around all over again in, in another four years. You could elect another Biden. You still got that faction out there, and it's a strong one. It's a powerful one. So you, you think about making long-term investments. How do you do that when you've only got, I guess, a more friendly administration and government for what honestly is a short period of time? The, just the fact that they've made it clear our goal is to run you out of business. I I got to believe it would cause a boardroom to be somewhat hesitant in making giant investments as needed. He talked about the Anwar area of Alaska and, of course, the the pipeline as well that uh, Joe Biden shut down day one. He discussed that. But he said something else that, that did uh, concern me uh, just as far as, as uh, the validity of of his assertion, and, and it has to do with our debt, our deficit, and Social Security. And he stated that we would eliminate all those issues with oil. I, I couldn't figure out the connection there. But basically he said, we don't have to do anything to Social Security if we just drill. And if we unleash the American energy sector... That will fix the financial problems of Social Security. Medicare is in the same boat. And and we would also balance the budget and pay off the debt. In fact, last night he said, had I been president now, we would be, pay, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but we'd be paying off our debt right now at levels never seen before. You know how he likes to say that all the time? Never seen before. It's kind of a common phrase he uses. And I started thinking to myself, well, how was that going to happen, though, Mr. President? We're, we're running $2 trillion deficits. The deficit your last year in office, granted it was, it was the big COVID stuff, was $3.1 trillion, But the three years prior to COVID, the smallest deficit produced while you were in office was about $750 billion. So how in a four-year term are you going to... Turn that around. What? Where is the $2 trillion going to come from? I certainly appreciate that if we unleash the American energy sector, that would be beneficial to the economy. But the only way the government benefits from that, from a budgetary perspective, is if individuals and corporations see their incomes rise so significantly that they pay more taxes in to the government to balance the budget. Well, that is a, a huge amount, massive. That's a, a third more than the present level in both. I don't see. I just don't see that happening. I I'm curious to know what his what his plan is. How does he connect those dots? I mean, the only connection I can see is if you have a growing, thriving economy, you tend to have less problems with issues such as retirement or savings. Just on a on a smaller level, so you look at countries who are oil rich and have grown tremendously with an oil rich environment, like oh I don't know the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. yeah. So if you 
unleash the American oil industry in a way that the economy grows and blooms and blossoms in that way, that's about the only connection I can draw. Yeah, I think I, I hear you. Uh, but that would essentially mean we'd nationalize and the government would overtake the oil and gas industry because the profits produced by the oil and gas industry only help the government from a budgetary perspective if their profit rises considerably such that they pay more taxes in. Well, there's no way you get to $2 trillion no. doing that. Not even close. You won't even get to $10 billion doing that. So, And the other thing is that uh, individuals... Uh, are seeing their incomes rise so substantially by a third. That's just not likely. In a short period of time, uh, and, and even that won't do it because a third, that doesn't translate to a third of tax revenue. You'd have to go up almost double your income just to get to the, the $2 trillion deficit that would need to be resolved. Someone asked, please tell us what Element Wealth is. Element Wealth is uh, a company. It's a wealth management firm that uh, sponsors uh, the studio here uh, on middays. Jeremy Nelson, uh, a partner there, was on the program earlier this week. That's what Element Wealth is, and that's where we are, the Element Wealth studio. Coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Thomas. On the ceasefire tax line, Gary from Tishomingo. Let's just get him back in there, then see how it plays out. Have to be better than now. Yeah, I agree. If he's the nominee, I'm I'm full-throated supporting him. No doubt about it. Uh, any uh, of the Republican candidates are orders of magnitude better, in my view, than any of the Democrat candidates. So that's not even in question. I, I just, is it not true, folks, that when we hear Democrats deliver in their speeches and all their in their communications a series of, of promises, commitments, and then we call them out because they don't meet them? This is one that. And, and I'm not being critical of the president, former president, as much as I am just, that just what he said, I don't believe is tenable. And if he makes such broad, sweeping statements, any politician, tell us how you're going to achieve that. Making a statement that, hey, if I were president, we'd be paying off the debt right now. That's what he said. How would, how would that have happened, and why did it not happen? I think it's a reasonable question in your first term. Because when you, you look at the numbers in 
his first year, 2017, a $750 billion deficit, 18, it went up to 779, 19, up to 983 in 2020, the COVID year, 3.1 trillion. Now, of course, I've been extremely critical of Joe Biden, who runs around bragging about cutting the deficit, but he fails to add the context, while we're talking about context, that comparing the 2020 deficit, which included the massive amount of spending to offset COVID as uh, supplemental funding, to year 21, your first year, Joe Biden, where he produced a $2.8 trillion deficit, $300 billion less than Trump's final year. To me, the fair comparison would be comparing years without COVID relief dollars under both presidents. Well, under Donald Trump, 17, 18, 19, the highest of those three years was $983 trillion. Joe Biden has produced $2.8 trillion, $1.4 trillion, $2 trillion in his first three years. And in his fourth year, he's going to produce a $2.2 trillion deficit, I predict. So that would be the more valid comparison, but he doesn't do that. It's always half the story, and that's a concern. I, I'm all for the president. If he's got a plan to eliminate, to balance the budget, and start paying down debt, man, I'm all for it. I just want to see it. I, I can't make the connection on how if we just unleash American energy, that that situation would avail itself. I, I can't figure out financially and mathematically. If, if he's got a plan to do that, I, I'm curious to see it. Uh, but, yeah, he's orders of magnitude better than anything that coming from the Democrats and I do think he's sincere and genuine, as always. I've praised him for this, of putting this country first. I think he did that when he was president. I think he'll he'll uh, uh, govern that way in a second term. And, and calling out and exposing the corruption and the weaponization of the deep state bureaucracy, I completely agree. On the other hand, I think Joe Biden is in the background weaponizing government. I think this. I think Donald Trump, as a as a future president, if he is able to pull that off in twenty twenty four, and honestly, by all accounts right now, polls he's leading. You know, so is Haley and DeSantis in a head to head versus Biden. All of them are leading, which is not good news for the Democrats. They know it. They they got they got a problem on their hands. They really do. You may have also seen folks that. Joe Biden said that he's only running, only running to ensure Donald Trump, to protect against the election of Donald Trump as the president. So what he said in a little brief little question there as he was walking out to Marine One, a reporter asked him, said, yeah, what do you think about all the people calling for you to step aside and not run? He says, I'm running to ensure that Donald Trump doesn't get reelected. Paraphrasing a bit, but that's what he said. Well, that's somewhat telling, is it not? You're only running to prevent another person? Even if that's the will of the people? 
wait, I thought that the end of democracy and stuff, right? What happened to that, what happened to that line? Well, he's also reiterated his claims that he had no dealings whatsoever with any of Hunter Biden's business partners. Which is now... So, sorry there, Joe. We got the receipts at this point. More and more data servicing there, and, and uh, House leadership is signaling that we may see... Uh, a movement towards impeachment within a week. Within a week. I think they got enough info there to proceed. And I, I felt like that was the case, that Representative Comer, the Oversight Committee chairman, and his team have been very methodical, very thoughtful, and I do believe they've been building their case before they just launched it haphazardly, which is what the Democrats did, honestly, with respect to Donald Trump uh, when he was president. That was just all a witch hunt. Let's see what we – it's the old show me the person, I'll find a crime to attach to him. That's exactly what that crap was all about. They produced nothing, zero, less than zero. In this case, though, bank records, receipts, IRS whistleblower, more coming from those guys, they're patriots in my view, especially when you consider that it's not like they're dyed-in-the-wool Republican Trump supporters. Quite the opposite. But they had the uh, the fortitude and the integrity to come forward and expose what they saw was totally wrong. And in this case, against the law. Thomas and Greenwood says, what about his deficit in 2019? I, yeah, I just shared that. Thomas, hope you heard that. Will he achieve it like he did in 2019, where he lobbied Republicans to spend even more than Pelosi was asking for? I, I, I've researched that and find no evidence of that. Uh, his main spending increase was always focused on uh, the military. He, he numerous times said that his predecessor, Barack Obama, had just decimated the, the military and it needed to be rebuilt, and he, and he brags about that. We rebuilt the military, and he, um, he did sign off on a, an additional $150 billion to the military over those couple of years to the Department of Defense in terms of increase in spending to rebuild it, as he termed it. But um, the problem with Social Security and Medicare is, is a real one that does need to be addressed. And he called out DeSantis for suggesting that the retirement age should be increased to 70. He did that when he was a member of the Congress. That is absolutely true. And uh, there are a lot of others, even conservatives, that believe that that is a, a practical uh, approach and uh, a part of a, a larger need to solve Social Security's financial problems. I think, much like we've discussed as it pertains to PERS, you're, you're looking at a, a multifaceted solution. It, it won't come from just one, oh, yeah, just raise the retirement age. I mean, that's, I think, part of a, a larger, a more comprehensive solution to address the issue, but I, by itself it won't. Thomas, nobody can get a budget. He couldn't even get a budget. I know. It was uh, continuing resolutions. I know. Because he can't get a budget. The, the numbers in the Congress just aren't in place to get a, a full-fledged budget. Now, 
And keep in mind, we're only dealing with the discretionary portion, only 30%. The rest of it's on autopilot. The 70% just happens no matter what the Congress does. And that, that, that nuance, I think, is just always missing. Do you think it's even possible on the ceasefire text line for Trump or any other Republican president to remove all these weaponized government employees question? I, I, I have my doubts. I have stated on the program, I think that it's actually more critical and would be more beneficial to the nation to impose term limits on some of these career bureaucrats and these agencies that just seem to get away with lots of uh, regulatory decisions and issuing uh, rules and regulations that I think um, exceed their authority. Supreme Court has said as much in a couple of cases that they've seen. Uh, yeah, I think we need term limits literally on the deep state bureaucratic ideologues that are running these agencies. I, I'm not sure if Trump or anybody else can root that out. I'd like to see Mayorkas impeached as a starting point. Coming back with a final segment on middays. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Speaking of the drill, 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 which Donald Trump said, uh, former president, he would do day one. If he's elected, which just means undoing a lot of the goofy Biden policies that sought to every way they could from a policy regulatory perspective, really impede the production of fossil fuels. Uh, he would reverse all those. So that, that'd be wonderful, I think. I really do. Uh, also, just notice that oil has now crossed over below 70 bucks, 69 bucks today. I'm a little surprised by that. Saudis have said their economy is actually hurting. They need to sell more, no doubt. Uh, Paula Meridian says, as president, we're talking about the deep state. As president, there's a lot of people that Trump can just fire, can he? Well, keep in mind, Paul, that the president appoints his cabinet, and all those people report, report to those cabinet members. So as far as him reaching down, you know, into the organizations where – You've got these career bureaucrats. Sure, certainly he he should, if he if he wants to um, make some changes there, he needs to talk to the members of his cabinet about people that he feels are are um, a problem. Certainly in the DOJ and FBI, so much has happened since uh, uh, Joe Biden took office. No doubt about it. But yeah, he's got a fair amount of latitude there. But it's also fair to say, Rhino, that. It's kind of difficult. It's it's easier to fire a member of the cabinet, right? The president, you're gone. And, and uh, President Donald Trump did that quite a bit. That was one of the knocks on him. Then someone below them that's been working at the FBI, the DOJ, for decades, just the way the process works. And you could we could certainly change the administrative process and the HR policies. Uh, and, and I think that needs to happen. It needs to be more akin to the private sector, in my view. I, I, I support 
what's called at-will employment. I can hire you, fire you, for or without any reason whatsoever. That's what I believe represents the best model, the best system. Uh, please explain, this is Mike from Columbus on the ceasefire tax line, please explain censure and impeachment. Clinton was impeached and censured, but did not have to leave office. So, yeah, the way our process works, Mike, is the House uh, can impeach a president or, or cabinet members, other government officials, uh, with a simple majority in the House. It, it's really not actionable other than it then gets transmitted to the Senate, and the Senate would deliberate the impeachment, and it is the Senate that would have the power to convict. Conviction would remove uh, the president whom, or whomever the party is that's being impeached from office. By the way, that requires two-thirds majority, which is why it's not likely to happen. So even though I support to send a strong message impeaching Mayorkas, for example, I, I think he's totally abdicated his duty. Not only that, I think he's lied. Um, but it's unlikely, and the same is true with, with Joe Biden, if he gets impeached, which seems to be imminent, in the House at this point, you would certainly think all Republicans, which would be sufficient because they have a simple majority, to impeach him. Although get, that majority keeps shrinking. It does. It's, uh, it is getting smaller. And I, I don't know what the laws are in California, but when Kevin McCarthy vacates that seat here in a couple of weeks, I don't know what happens. I hadn't studied California law, but we already have Santos that's out. And I believe a special election has to be held within 90 days. When we looked it up the other day, the uh, governor would schedule that and call for that of New York. But nonetheless, that's how it works, Mike. So censure... Is, censure is, is basically a, a strong word letter. It's a reprimand. It has no teeth. Yeah, it's just, you did bad. It's a way for the body to go, you are bad. Yeah. Can we go back it. to business? Yeah, that that's it. Um, totally true. So, But the, the key is... And, and this was brilliant, if you think about it, on the part of the founders that, okay, House, you represent the people, simple majority, you can impeach. But once we get it over to the Senate, the hope was on the part of the founders that cooler heads would prevail in case there's, you know, something kind of impulsive going on in the House. Uh, you got to have two-thirds. And I think that's totally appropriate. Now, expelling someone such as George Santos from the body in which they serve, uh, that too requires two-thirds, but only in that body, only in that chamber. That does not require approval, if you will, by the other chamber. So good question, though, Mike. Appreciate that uh, um, a little a little bit. My view is you've beat the Trump can't do it quite enough. About what? The deficit and the debt? I'll make a wager with you right now, steak dinner, that if Donald Trump is reelected, that he will not he will not balance the budget and he will not pay off any of the debt. I'm just, it's just math. I, I'm for it. I want him to work on it. Believe me. And I'd I'd be willing to help him if I could contribute anything to it, other than the taxes I send up there. It's just math. We're out of here today, back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.